What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Martian MMA Podcast. I'm your host, and my name is John, and we are back with episode 63, where we will be analyzing and predicting the UFC 238 pay-per-view going down this Saturday, June 8th, from Chicago, Illinois, starting at 6.30 p.m. Uh, the prelims will start on, I believe, ESPN+, Plus, then move to ESPN for the prelims at 8 p.m., and then at 10 p.m., we will transition back to ESPN+, Plus for the pay-per-view edition of this card. If you read the title of this podcast, it says I am joined by my friend Josh. He joins the podcast later for the main card portion of the podcast. So if you are looking to listen to just the portion where Josh is on and listen to the five main card fight analysis, then fast forward to the 42 minute mark. But I encourage you to stick around and listen to all 13 fights being broken down for you because let me tell you something, the prelims of this card are incredible. I'm talking about two fights that I believe will determine the next number one contender at the men's bantamweight division and the women's strawweight division. Pedro Munoz versus Aljamain Sterling. I think the winner of that fight fights the winner of Marias and Cejudo. And the winner of Suarez and Ansarov, I think, will be the next uh, fighter for uh, Jessica Andrade, unless uh, Rose Namajunas has a rematch first. In that case, Suarez or Ansawoff will fight Joanna Jacek next. But like I said, we got a ton of good fights on this prelim, so I advise you to stick around and hear the analysis for all eight prelim fights in addition to the five main card fights. So starting things off in the flyweight division, we have Caitlin Chukagian, who is 11-2, taking on Joanne Calderwood, who is 13-3. The opening betting line for this fight was Joanne Calderwood, the favorite at minus 175, to Caitlin Chukagian as the plus 135 underdog. Right now, looking over at 5dimes.eu, we see a pick em fight at minus 110 for both fighters. So, much more action coming in on the underdog, Caitlin Chukagian's way. And I agree with the line movement in this one. I think where the initial line was set was a little bit uh, too in Calderwood's favor. I think this is a very close fight, 50-50 type of fight, which is why you are seeing the pick'em odds for this one. So, Caitlin Chukagian is coming off of a loss to Jessica I in her last fight, but... That fight, man, it was razor, razor thin. And I going back and scoring that fight, I scored it for, for Caitlin Chukagian. I gave her rounds one and three of that fight. She did did well outstriking Jessica I, I believe, throughout the entire fight. And, you know, just did a good job uh, avoiding any of the aggression of I, avoiding the takedowns of I. And, you know, she, her uh, her jab and her push kick were on point, keeping I at distance. And it's a shame that uh, I was... Uh, given that decision it was a close fight it wasn't a robbery by any means but uh, i did give that fight to chukagian so she could be in the main event of the or the co-main event fighting for the title but instead she's kicking off the prelims as the first fight of the night you know uh interesting that they put this fight so so low on the card as well you know this is the number three and the number five flyweight ranked in the world so you know, putting them as the first fight on the prelims is a little bit of disrespect, in my opinion. This one should be a really good fight. 
Um, so uh, Caitlyn Chukagian actually has very solid jujitsu as well. She doesn't really use it that much, um, but she she does have very good jujitsu. She was able to get back to her feet when she was taken down uh, by Carmouche. She was not really in too much trouble versus Liz Carmouche, although she was taken down a few times by Liz in that fight. So uh, you know Calderwood also a very a very skilled striker and has a great jujitsu game as well. She uh, tapped out Kalinda Faria with the triangle in one of her most recent fights. And uh, Joanne Calderwood herself is coming off of a decision victory as well over, let's see who that was, Ariane Lipsky. That's right, Lipsky was making her debut, came in as a very hyped fighter, came in the favor of that matchup, and Joanne Calderwood came in as an underdog and shut down Lipsky in that fight. Uh, you know, her striking looked very uh, good in that fight. She was throwing up arm bars off of her back. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm impressed with both of these ladies. They're both, they're both improving a lot. So uh, coming down to this matchup, I think that on the ground, they will pretty much cancel each other out. I think I think if uh, we see this fight go to the ground, it will be Calderwood entering the uh, the grappling realm of things. I think that she will be the one initiating the takedown. But I think Chukagian's defense is good enough to avoid a submission in this one. So I, I see it playing out on the feet. And although Calderwood is very solid on the feet, she has you know a good... Uh, varied offense on the feet with her kicks and punches and a, a very good clinch game as well i just think that chukagian's her leg kicks her teep kick and her jab is going to pose a lot of problems for calder but just like it does most women in the division she uh she usually uh, keeps uh, her opponents away at distance with that jab and with that teep so i expect that that uh to come into play here so i'm gonna i'm gonna pick um chukagian to win this decision uh 29 28 but it's not a confident pick at all because Chukagian does have a habit of making fights closer than they need to be. Almost all of her fights are, you know, 29-28 decisions or split decisions. And, you know, though that really cost her in her last fight losing that split decision and losing her title shot. So hopefully Chukagian will come out a little more aggressive this time. And uh, I'm picking Caitlin Chukagian to win by decision. Next fight is in the Bantamweight division. We got Eddie Wineland, who is 23-13, and 13, taking on Grigori Popov, who is 14-2. Popov is making his UFC debut in this one, and the opening betting line for this one was Wineland minus 145 to Popov at plus 105. Right now, we are seeing Wineland minus 130 to Popov at plus 110. So, two-way action coming in on this fight. It is a close type of fight. Um... You know, Popov is a Russian guy. A lot of Russians get uh, a lot of respect coming in in their UFC debuts. But, you know, I really have not seen too much impressive from Popov, honestly. He's fought in very low-level competition. He's, you know not really looked too uh, dominant or impressive versus them either he was you know taken down by a, a one-in-one fighter um but with the last name of chen uh and was you know getting hit with some pretty heavy ground and pound off of his back in that fight he was losing the fight to uh to chen in that fight and eventually came back in the third round and got the head kick knockout for the victory the come from behind victory and really you know saved him in that fight so if uh, Popov was struggling with a fighter who was uh, one and one, I am not very confident in him coming in here versus an experienced veteran in Eddie Wineland and getting the victory in that fight. So based on that fact alone, just you know, kind of weaky cap. And although I did you know study both of these fighters, just looking at the records of the two, one has struggled uh, with with decent to low level competition. 
And then Eddie Wyland that's been in the UFC for 5-10 years, you know, fighting some of the highest level competition and holding his own. Even in his last fight uh, against Alejandro Perez, who was a, a top 15 bantamweight at the time, Wyland went in there and gave him a close decision. Um, you know, I, I did think he lost that fight. He was, you know, outstruck uh, by, you know, just a, a small margin throughout the entire fight. But Wineland, uh, his boxing looked on point in that, on that fight. Uh, you know, the thing about the thing about Popov is that his ground game is pr quite poor. You know, he has been able to uh, submit a couple of his low-level opponents with, you know, Gogo Platas and some nice submissions. But... Man, I don't I don't think that's going to work against Eddie Wyland. I think that anybody with decent grappling defense at best uh, will be able to avoid those subs off of Popov's back. But, you know, Eddie Wyland hasn't hit an offensive takedown in since 2011. So I do not see Wyland coming in here and uh, implementing a grappling game plan. So I, can, I think this one will play out on the feet. So I give Wineland uh, a slight edge in this one just because I think he's you know more experienced. He's fought the better competition. I think he has the better striking technique uh, overall. Popov does have some you know some flashy kicks and stuff like that that he uh, can uh, catch you with. You know that's how he won his fight with uh, Getu Hexi. He was losing that fight to Hexi for two or three rounds, and then in the third round he hit him with a jumping front kick and knocked him out for the victory. So. Popov, you know, is dangerous. He definitely has power, not too much technique on the feet, but he's got power. So uh, the way I see this fight going out is I see Eddie Wineland outstriking Popov to a decision. I see, you know, uh, Wineland just outboxing him. He really only boxes, maybe, you know, throws the occasional kick uh, in there, leg kick, but really just a boxing attack from Eddie Wineland. But, you know, Wineland's not perfect, man. He is, uh, you know, an older fighter. He does have close to 40 fights. He keeps his hands pretty low when he uh, fights, and he was getting hit with some pretty solid shots versus Alejandro Perez, but his his chin was holding strong, so I like Wineland's chances to avoid that big power shot of Popov at any time, and uh, I see Wineland uh, getting the decision victory 29-28 in this one. Next fight in the middleweight division, we got Bivon Lewis, who is 6-1, taking on Darren Stewart, who is 9-4. The opening betting line for this one was Bivon Lewis, the favorite, at minus 155 to Darren Stewart, the plus 115 underdog. Right now, we are seeing Lewis, minus 175 to Stewart, plus 155. So, more action coming in the way of the favorite, Bivon Lewis. He was actually bet all the way down to minus 230, 240, and, you know, stood at minus 230 or 40 for around two or three weeks but in the past uh, 24 hours really some heavy action has come in on Darren Stewart uh, pushing this line back to where it opened up at so I agree with where the the late line movement has come in I think that Bivon Lewis being a minus 250 favorite in this fight after the way he lost his last fight is just you know uh, inexcusable you know, Bivon Lewis, he did look very sharp in his in his UFC debut. He was outstriking uh, Uriah Hall, the seasoned veteran in, in that fight. He was showing off his his uh, offensive striking, using that oblique kick, the head kick. He's got a solid clinch game, good knees and elbows in the clinch. He trains with uh, John Jones, and you can really tell it. He has good dirty boxing and elbows in the clinch, and that oblique kick. A lot of similarities from John Jones in the striking of Bivon Lewis. But you know he was out striking Uriah Hall clean all fight, and it was it was a pretty dominant performance from Lewis. And then he uh, got countered. He threw a, a sloppy overhand, and he got count one punch knockout countered by Uriah Hall. So. 
you know, not a good sign from Lewis. The fact that he was dominating that fight, you know, if there was a live betting line for that fight, he would have been nine, minus 900 at the time. And he still managed to lose that fight after, you know, making one mistake. All he had to do was make one sloppy overhand and Hall was there to knock him out. But uh, luckily, he's not fighting a, an experienced veteran like Uri Hall this fight. He's taking on Darren Stewart, who is, you know, a bit of a madman. He likes to get in the brawls on feet. Or, excuse me, he likes to get in, in brawls on the feet. He likes getting in that pocket and trading. And he's had some crazy, crazy fights in his time. You know, the Spicy fight, the, the Charles Bird fight where he was losing that fight and came back and TKO'd Bird in that fight. So Stewart does have the ability to, you know, be outstruck, be, you know, beaten with technique like he did versus Charles Bird, and then still catch uh, you with a punch and, you know, knock you out and come uh, come from behind and get that victory. But, you know, I, you know it takes a special type of fighter to, to get your ass kicked for 11, 12 minutes and still be looking for that one mistake. And that's what Uriah Hall did. He, it didn't matter that he was getting outstruck clean off fight. He was still focused on, you know, winning that fight. He was waiting for one little window of opportunity. And he found it and he capitalized big time. Stewart does not have that ability at all. You know, he did, have, like I said, he did have that come from behind victory versus Charles Bird. But it's nothing to the level of that Uriah Hall comeback. So uh, I think that Stewart will give the fight that Lewis wants, and he's gonna you know stand in front and trade. So Stewart you know does have a little bit of a, a wrestling problem. You know he was out grappled by Edmund Shabazian last fight. Uh, you know just a really sloppy grappling wrestling match that entire fight. And you know props to Shabazian. He went in there facing a heavy hitter like Stewart and realized that he had that bad ground game and he was he didn't want to take a risk that fight and he just decided to grapple and he won the fight pretty easily so i don't think lewis will do the same you know it will be a you know a smart game plan to do that to uh, exploit the stewart uh the grappling of stewart but i just see lewis keeping this fight on the feet using his uh superior striking his crisp technique and you know outstriking darren stewart uh to a decision i'm gonna go 30 27 in this one i don't think stewart will or i don't think lewis will take many risks in this one i think that after that last fight it's gonna leave a bad taste in his mouth and he's gonna play this one super safe he's gonna keep this fight at range using that oblique kick using that teeth kick that head kick and his his uh, straight punches and just keeping this one you know at, at range but if stewart's able to get into that pocket is able to you know start throwing start throwing hooks close that distance and get this one into a firefight man that fi that favors him um, and I think that Stewart is the, the harder puncher of the two. I think Lewis is more of a volume guy, a more technique kind of guy, while, while Stewart is just a powerful striker, man. So this one should be a really good fight. Stewart does have a chance to win this fight. So that's why I'm agreeing with the late line movement, pushing this fight to a more reasonable line. I don't think Lewis at minus 250 is a good bet at all, but uh, I'd say the odds are pretty much accurate where they are now with Lewis minus 175, Stewart plus 155. So I'm going to pick Bivon Lewis to uh, get his first UFC victory in this fight with a 30-27 decision. Next fight in the women's strawweight division we got yan shanan who is 10 and 1 taking on angela hill who is 9 and 6 the opening betting line for this fight was yan shanan at, as the minus 135 favorite to hill at minus 105 right now we are seeing yan minus 155 to hill plus 135 so much more action coming in on the the Chinese prospect Yan Shannon. 
you know, if you looked at this woman's name, you'd never guess that Shannon is in there, but X-I-A-O-N-A-N, I guess, in uh, Chinese converts to Shannon. I was actually pretty surprised to hear that in the commentary. But, uh, you know, Shannon has looked good in the UFC so far, but her competition has been, you know, quite low. She picked up, uh, I mean, look at her last fight, Siri Kondo, Viviana Pereira. Man, th these women are bottom of the barrel. No, no disrespect to them, but... She's fighting a whole new monster in Angela Hill in this one. Angela Hill has fought the best of the best in the UFC strawweight division. She's been in Invicta. She was on the Ultimate Fighter. She's fought in, you know, really, uh, you know, Nina Ansaroff, Jessica Andrade. I think she fought Nami Yunus on the show, Tisha Torres. You know, uh, Angela Hill is a, is a consistent gatekeeper in the women's 115-pound division. And, I, you know, I'm a big fan of the girl. She, you know, uh, fought pretty recently around six weeks ago and, you know, picked up that decision victory over Jody Esquibel. Uh, you know, even before that, she was fighting Randa Marcos. So this is going to be... Uh, Angela Hill's third fight in within the span of about three months. So respect to her. She's staying active and she's uh, racking up some nice performances along the way. She did have that setback to Randa Marcos where she was taken down, you know, pressured with the top pressure of uh, Randa Marcos and then eventually tapped out with an arm bar. But Yan Shannon is not going to come in here to grapple. Actually, Yan Shannon has shown a bit of a weakness in the grappling. She was taken down by Kaylin Curran, you know, was... Uh, didn't look too good off of her back. Spent some time there, especially in in round three. She was, you know, quite tired in round three. Got taken down and really couldn't get off, uh, you know, get off of her back at all in that fight. You know, she was taken down in the early rounds and she was able to get back to her feet. But as the fight went later, she was not able to grapple too well. Uh, so Chenan's uh, striking does look pretty solid. You know, she's very technical. She's got, you know, good side kicks. She'll go to the body. She'll go to the head with the side kicks. Uh, you know she throws she throws real power into her punches, man. She she gets mean in that octagon, and she you know comes in aggressive. She tries marching you down, and she's had some success. You know beating those lower level women who will stand in front of her, who don't have very good striking or good footwork, uh, and you know have struggled with the leg kicks of Yan Shanam. But Angela Hill. You know, I think she she lives for this type of fight. She's facing, you know, another solid kickboxer, another girl who likes throwing kicks, who's very aggressive. And I think this, this matchup is in uh, Angela Hill's favor big time. So uh, Angela Hill has fought, uh, I want to say, half a dozen women who are better on paper than Yan Shannon. But this is going to be Yan Shannon's toughest fight of her career. Angela Hill has held her own in there versus, like I said, girls like Torres. And she had a competitive fight with Jessica Andrade. She was landing. That, that's a very similar type of fight, you know, uh, where Andrade is going to be marching forward the entire time like I expect Yan Shannon to. But Hill's going to be there, you know, landing those leg kicks, landing solid punches. And I, I don't think that uh, Shannon is going to have nearly the aggression, nearly the power of Jessica Andrade. And I actually see Angela Hill outstriking Yan Shannon in this matchup. I see Hill using that good footwork, her good leg kicks, that solid clinch game of Hill, uh, you know, that great Muay Thai background she comes from. And I, and I just see her using the more, uh, you know, varied offense, you know, mixing it up with the kicks and the punches, mixing up the clinch, maybe even going for her own takedown after seeing that, that weakness in the grappling of Shannon in this one. So, 
I expect this one to be a really good fight. I think it will be contested mostly on the feet. And, you know, I I'm not totally counting out Yan Shannon. She could step up to the plate big time in this one and outstrike Angela Hill. But I'm picking my girl Angela over Kill Hill to get the decision victory in this one. 29-28. And looking at the betting lines, man, Angela Hill, at one point, I think she was plus 155. Yeah, man, plus 175, 55. She was been ha she's been hovering around plus 155 all week, and now her line is dropping a little more back down to evens at plus 135. So Angela Hill is a, a good underdog play in this one, and I think I will be, uh, you know, betting one unit on her myself. So cheering for Hill this weekend, and I'm expecting a, a good fight out of that one. Next fight in the featherweight division, we got Ricardo Lamas, who is 19-7, taking on Calvin Cater, who is 19-3. The opening betting line for this one was Calvin Cater, the favorite, at minus 165, to Ricardo Lamas at plus 125. Right now, over on Five Dimes, we are seeing Cater minus 145, Lamas plus 125. So, line margins have tightened up. It, it actually sits right now pretty much... Uh, the exact same line that what it opened at but uh you know money's been coming in both ways on this one i'd say more money has come in on calvin cater actually lamas was up to a plus 150 underdog just a few days ago but again that late money has started coming in on the right side in my opinion ricardo lamas so let me just go ahead and say that both of these guys are terrific fighters both of them have you know consistently impressed me throughout the ufc tenures and, uh, you know, Cater is a bit shorter. Lamas has been around for a few years, but Cater has only had, I think, three or four fights in the UFC, but he's really made an impression. He came in uh, picking up that uh, that 3-1 to one underdog victory over Andre Feely in his first fight. Then he went in and knocked out Shane Burgos. Had that setback where he was, you know, outclassed versus Hanato Moiscano, then bounced back with that nice win over Fish, Chris Fishgold. Um, you know, that's just going off of memory. I'm not even looking at his record. I'm just, you know, really a, a big fan of... Uh, Calvin Cater and uh, everything that he's done and so far in the UFC so um, Calvin Cater will, will go over some of the things he does well he's got a, a, one of the best jabs in MMA to go along with just a solid boxing fundamentals all around good defense uh, you know he the one thing that I think it is his Achilles heel is the leg kicks he, he struggled with the leg kicks big time versus Hanato Moiscano it was a competitive fight in round one but once Moiscano realized that he wasn't checking leg kicks he started going to the well with that leg kick and then everything else followed then Moiscano started out striking cater started landing heavy body kicks and mixes it up with the leg kicks and in rounds two and three Moiscano put a beat down on Calvin cater in that fight mostly revolved around the leg kicks so you know calvin cater has struggled with leg kicks throughout the, his entire fight career and you know even in the commentary of that fight against moiscano he was you know uh kind of roasted a bit ver by uh the commentators they were like man i can't believe he's 21 fights into his career and he, he can't check a leg kick yet so you know, he, going back and watching that one himself, you know, I would I would be shocked to see if Cater came in here with that that de that hole in his game still. You know, uh, I'm hoping, even though uh, I think the the betting value is on Ricardo Lamas in this one, and I, and I already have a bet locked in on Ricardo Lamas, I'm hoping Calvin Cater does come in with that leg kick defense, you know, uh, a lot better, starts checking leg kicks, because that's just going to be a bad sign for his career if he, you know, lost that Moise Kano fight, his only fight in the UFC so far, mostly due to leg kicks, and he still hasn't fixed that hole in his game, so... 
And, you know, it's bad. It, it, he better fix it because Ricardo Lamas has got great leg kicks, man. He uh, In his most recent fight against Darren Elkins, he was really attacking that lead leg of Darren Elkins. He was chopping down at it. You know, not only does he, he have good timing on the leg kicks, his placement, you know, is really well. He he goes to, he doesn't go to the thigh. He goes to the knee and he goes to the the. Uh, the calf, you know, the the places where you get hit in that uh, part of your leg and it shuts that leg down. So, uh, Ricardo Lamas also has a very solid boxing game to go along uh, with his leg kicks. Got a great wrestling base, can defend a takedown well, can hit his own offensive takedowns well. It was uh, taken down uh, Darren Elkins, you know, at will in their fight. He just sets him up so well, you know, gets you thinking about the punches and then changes levels really well. And uh, Ricardo Lamas also has a really wicked guillotine. You know, he tapped Charles Oliveira with his guillotine. He uh, was into some trouble in that fight with versus Oliveira early, but defended some choke attempts from Oliveira and then got his own choke in the second round of that fight. So uh, Lamas is really just a, a amazing uh, overall well-rounded fighter. I, I think that he's the more well-rounded mixed martial artist by a, a pretty decent margin in this fight. So... Um, Cater, you know, he, he does have a path of victory. It would be checking leg kicks, hitting that jab, you know, keeping those punches long, and that's how he's going to beat Ricardo Lamas in this one. You're going to have to outstrike Lamas on the, uh, you know, at distance in order to beat him. Um, Lamas's most recent loss was to Mursad Bektik, and that fight was, you know, a, a stall against the cage type of fight where uh, Bektik was trying to grapple, was trying to initiate the takedown, and it ended up in a lot of stalemates against the cage. That's not Calvin Cater style at all. He's a boxer. He wants to come in here and, and throw hands. And, you know, that's what he's do best at doing. So uh, Cater, if he's able to check the leg kicks, if he's able to start landing that jab and landing his straight punches, avoiding the, the takedown of Lamas, I see him outstriking Lamas to this fight. But if Cater has not fixed that uh, leg kick defense, I think Lamas is going to be attacking that lead leg heavy. I think he's going to be mixing it up with uh, the takedowns in this fight. I think that he will be the better grappler by a quite large margin versus Calvin Cater in this one. So Cater wants to avoid the ground at any means possible. So I just think that Lamas has more tools to win this fight. I think that that leg kick is a big, big key. I think that his boxing is, is good enough to hang with Cater's. And I think that his wrestling is a good you know plan b if you know the cater starts landing that jab and causes some problems for lamas i see him closing that distance and trying to take this fight to the floor and either tap out cater with that that solid guillotine or maybe just you know ride this one out on the scorecards with a grappling heavy decision so i'm picking the underdog Ricardo Lamas in this one. I would not be mad if Cater pulled it off. I'm really a big fan of the guy. Like I said, I would like to see him improve that uh, that checking those leg kicks so he can you know really uh, excel to that elite level of fighter. Because if he does not patch up that hole in his game, man, it's gonna be it's gonna be a, a set ceiling for Calvin Cater in the UFC. So uh, I'm picking Ricardo Lamas to get this one done. I'm gonna go with the 29-28 decision for Lamas. Next fight is in the women's strawweight division we got carolina kovalkiewicz who was 12 and 4 taking on alexa grasso who is 10 and 2 the opening betting line for this one was carolina kovalkiewicz opening as the favorite at minus 195 to alexa grasso the plus 155 underdog right now we are seeing kovalkiewicz minus 115 to grasso at minus 105 so 
pretty ridiculous line opening uh, there, in my opinion. You know, Kovacavich coming off of that loss to Michelle Waterson just uh, about three months ago where she was, you know, beaten in all aspects of that fight. She was outclinched, outstruck at distance, and outgrappled. So it was a pretty bad showing from Kovacavich, you know, one of her worst performances in the UFC. And, you know, you you look at Kovacavich's last couple of fights, you know, she was taken down and tapped out really quickly versus Claudia Gedalia. She was knocked out versus Jessica Andrade. And then she lost that decision to Michelle Waterson, you know. Even her her only really impressive victory in the past couple of years comes over Felice Harrigan. Even that was a split decision. So, you know, Kovacavich, I believe, is on a decline. Uh, I think that, you know, she's a... Let's see how old she is. She's 33 years old. She has talked about, you know, wanting to uh, retire and start a family soon. You know, she's, I think that she even mentioned in an interview where she's getting kind of paranoid about, you know, uh, her age and, uh, you know, hoping that she can still have kids, you know, as seeing as she's getting up there. So I really think that she's got one foot out the door. You know, don't mean to bring her personal life into, into the analysis, but I, I really think it comes into play in this one. I think that she had a you know, real bad taste in her mouth after that Michelle Watterson loss and just tried to get back in there as quickly as possible without really uh, fixing any of those holes in her game, you know, figuring out why she looked so flat in that fight versus Waterson. You know, uh, I expected Kovacavis to win that fight, honestly. I thought that she would be out clinching uh, Waterson. I thought that, you know, her, her striking, is her, her boxing would be, you know, the... The thing that would outstrike Watterson at range, but she struggled with Watterson's kicks. She struggled with the takedowns, even the clinch game where Kovalkiewicz used to have a really solid clinch game and good knees and elbows and output constantly. Michelle Watterson won the clinch uh, in that fight. So, based on that fact alone, you know I'm thinking that you know Grasso, I think still got two feet in the door. I think that she you know is still fighting hard for to get that uh, that respect that she's deserved in the UFC because she's she's underperforming in the UFC for sure. She came in I think as an an invicted champion. She might have even been undefeated, and she came into the UFC and really you know really got fed to the wolves. Yeah, she came in as an Invicta FC, I believe a champion, beat Heather Joe Clark, then uh, lost the decision to Felice Herrick, bounced back with a, a nice win over uh, Randa Marcos, and then uh, was dominated in her last fight by Tatiana Suarez. No uh, no shame in that loss to Tatiana Suarez. Suarez would have done the exact same thing to Carolina Kovacavich. Um, you know, and... Uh, I'm impressed with with, Gra- with Grasso still. I think that she will be the better uh, mixed martial artist in the cage on Saturday night. Uh, you know, I think that she's uh, improved her striking. She looked a little tentative and a little uh, scared versus Felice Herrig. She keeps her hands, you know, glued to her chin. Her punches are a little bit predictable. But then after that, in the Marcos fight, she started to loosen up a little bit. She started to, you know, be more aggressive. She started to flow in the cage a little more. And she definitely looked much, much improved in that fight. So... I think Grasso is still improving. Uh, I think that she really hasn't shown her full potential in the UFC yet. While I think Carolina Kovacavich's full potential in the UFC was about uh, a couple a couple years ago in her win over Ruiz Lamanunis, I think that was really her best. Uh, uh, that was you know her ceiling, honestly. 
so, you know, not totally count, counting Kovacavich out. She's a very experienced fighter. Um, you know, she, she might, you know, be uh, uh, hungry for this win. She might be anxious to get back in the cage and erase that last bad performance uh, versus Michelle Waterson and get back in here with a win over Grasso. But I see it being a close type of fight. Uh, I, I think that uh, it'll be contested mostly in the kickboxing aspect of things. And I just think that uh, Grasso will be uh, the more physical and aggressive fighter. I think that Grasso will be leg kicking a lot in this fight. It's going to cause problems for uh, Kovacavich and her movement. And I see Grasso, you know, just getting the better of the striking exchanges and winning this decision 29-28. Uh, I think that's maybe my fourth or fifth time in a row saying 29-28 decision. Yeah, but, uh, you know, I I'm picking the decision in this one. I We're, we're, we're going to expect a lot of kickboxing matches in this uh, this card. You know, not not a bad thing, but I think that uh, a lot of these matchups will just play out on the feet. Um so that's just how I think that's one. This one's gonna go. So, moving on to the bantamweight division, we got Pedro Munoz, who is eighteen and three, taking on Aljamain Sterling, who is seventeen and three. The opening betting line for this one was Pedro Munoz, the favorite at minus one twenty-five, to Sterling, slight underdog at minus one fifteen. Right now, over on five dimes, we are seeing Aljamain Sterling minus one twenty-five to Pedro Munoz at plus one hundred five. So, little more action coming in on Aljamain Sterling's way. You know, earlier in the week, Munoz was up to uh, plus one twenty, plus one fifteen. But again, that late action coming in on Pedro Munoz. This is you know such a wicked close type of fight. Both of these guys are incredible bantamweights. Uh, I really think that you know that we really haven't even seen the best from both of these guys yet. I think that they're constantly improving fight to fight. You saw that in Aljamain Sterling's most recent fight against Jimmy Rivera. His, his boxing looked improved in that fight. He uh, you know was just really really on point. So Aljamain Sterling, he's uh, you know he's really well rounded. I think he's the more well rounded fighter out of the two of them. He's got great kicks. He'll keep. He can keep you at range all fight and just kick you from five feet away if he chose to. He's got a great wrestling game. He can he stuff takedowns well. He he has a vast array of offensive takedowns. You know, real good submissions. He really came into the UFC uh, submitting everyone and then has really uh, evolved his game to be a, a great, well-rounded mixed martial artist. Um, so. Sometimes he doesn't set up his takedowns too well. You know, I think that was a little bit of a problem in the Jimmy Rivera fight. He, uh, you know, he actually started that fight just looking for a takedown right away. I think he was just trying to, you know, gas Rivera out on the clinch, you know, get him thinking about the takedown and then really start to set up his striking. So, uh, you know, there... Pedro, or excuse me, Aljamain does have his weaknesses, though. You know, I think that the setting up the takedowns, that could be a problem at sometimes. You know, sometimes he has that telegraph takedown. And you better be careful about that against Pedro Munoz because Pedro Munoz has got one of the best guillotines in all of mixed martial arts. So if Sterling leaves his neck out going for a sloppy takedown, look for Munoz to snatch that shit up. But uh, Aljamain Sterling, also, you know, his chin is, uh, I wouldn't say it's, you know, in question, but he did get knocked out by Marlon Moraes about a year and a half ago with that head kick. And, you know, vicious, vicious shot that he took in that fight, you know, that would knock out a mule. So no shame in that uh, loss at all. 
Um, and, you know, we've really seen very few weaknesses from Aljamain Sterling throughout his entire UFC career. Let me think of who else he lost to. Aljamain Sterling, split decision loss. Brian Caraway, split decision loss. Yeah, so only one guy in Marlon Marais, the guy who's fighting for the belt this weekend, has really, you know, f uh, fully beaten Aljamain Sterling. So, uh, moving on to Pedro Munoz, man, this dude never, ever has a boring fight. Actually, he had one boring fight against John Dodson, but his last fight against Cody Garbrandt, man, what an electric fight that was. It was a close fight in the first couple of minutes, and then the two accidentally headbutted one another. Uh, Pedro Munoz ended up in top position, had some heavy half guard, but he literally just let Cody up. Like, he, he, he got back to his feet on his own will, even though he was in top position, then just started, you know, exchanging in the pocket with Cody Garbrandt, man. He, Munoz trusted his chin. He knew that he would uh, get in that brawl. He was willing to do it. And he was just confident in himself. Cody, you know, not so much. He, he caught Cody with two back-to-back uh, -back right hands that put Cody down, and he got the finish in the first round. So just an incredible performance from Cody, or from Pedro Munoz knocking out the four, former champion in Cody Garbrandt in that fight. You know, just really impressed with, uh, you know, Munoz's, you know, confidence in himself. You know, you got to be, you know, uh, you know, very, very confident in yourself to get in a, a brawl with uh, an experienced, powerful boxer like Cody Garbrandt. But he knew Garbrandt had that weakness, that chin and that defense, and he trusted himself to uh, expose it. And he did. And he got that vi that very big victory uh, over Munoz or excuse me, over Garbrandt. So, you know, getting down to how these two match up, man, I see it being a really, really close fight. But I see Sterling having the, the edge on the feet in this one. I think that the kicks of Sterling will pose a lot of problems for, uh, for Munoz in this one. I think that Munoz will have, have trouble getting the range because Munoz or because Sterling is going to be constantly using those kicks, staying at distance, teeping Munoz to the gut, and not letting him get in that pocket where Munoz is so good with those, you know, powerful hooks and knocking you out. So uh, if this fight goes to the floor, that's when it gets real interesting. I think it's actually closer matched up on the floor. I think that Munoz has a good chance at snatching that guillotine of Sterling. I think that Sterling has a good chance at, you know, pushing Munoz against the cage, you know, lulling him into a boring fight, maybe taking him down and stalling out in top position and winning rounds that way. But I expect this one to be, uh, you know, a really t back and forth type of fight. I, I'm, I do not have a clear uh, lean in this one, but I, I slightly lean Aljamain Sterling's way. I just think that he is has the better overall game. I, I was really impressed with his boxing improvements last fight. I think that he could hang w with the boxing of Munoz. I think that he will actually be a step ahead of Munoz on the ground if he if he chooses to uh, offensive grapple in this matchup. So the winner of this fight, I believe, is next up to face the winner of the main event in either Cejudo or. Marias. Uh, it should be an incredible fight. I wish it was five rounds, but we have to settle for three rounds. Uh, it sh really should be, should be on the main card, in my opinion, but the uh, UFC is saving a good fight for the ESPN prelims. So the pick in this one is going to be Sterling to get it done by decision. Next fight in the women's strawweight division, we have Tatiana Suarez, who is undefeated at 7-0, taking on Nina Ansaroff, who is 10-5. The opening betting line for this one was Tatiana Suarez, the favorite, at minus 515 to Nina Ansaroff, the plus 345 underdog. Right now, over on Five Dimes, we are seeing Suarez minus 850 to Ansaroff, plus 575. So, massive action coming in on the massive favorite Tatiana Suarez in this one. You know you know what we're looking at in this one? Uh, 
it's uh, Suarez has looked nothing but dominant in the UFC so far. Has you know used his uh, spams, high kicks, body kicks to close the distance on the feet, and then just has a very vast array of takedowns, strings together takedowns very quick. Maybe the best wrestling we've ever seen from a female in the UFC. Her top pressure is is relentless. She's not going to let you off of uh, at a bo- bottom position. No chance. You know. Uh, I think Carla did get back to her feet a few times, but man, Suarez just keeps that body lock and it will drag you back down to the canvas. Really similar to the Khabib Nurmagomedov fighting style. And once Suarez has you on her back, she, again, has vicious ground and pound, hammer fist, elbows. You know, she's trying to hurt you when she uh, when she gets you on the ground. Now, she can, you know, uh, she only has seven fights in the UFC or in MMA total, so she can make mistakes. She did ha- use a head and arm throw versus Alexa Grasso. So there is, you know, room to, for it to be, you know, a mistake to be made and for Ansaroff to pull off the victory in this one. But, man, that window is small. Uh, it's very small for Nina Ansaroff, unfortunately. And because Nina Ansaroff has been one of the most improved females on the UFC roster, in my opinion. I've really enjoyed Nina Ansaroff's fights lately. Uh, you know, her takedown defense has gotten better. Her striking has gotten better. And she's, you know, picked up three solid wins in a row. And those wins are over real good competition. You know, Randa Marcos, not an easy fight for any woman in the division. Got taken down early versus that in that fight. And then was able to start stuffing the takedowns in rounds 2 and 3 and outstriking Marcos to a decision. Um, but, you know, what I just said there is why I think that Nina Ansaroff does not have much of a chance in this fight. If Randa Marcos was able to take you down, I don't see Tatiana Suarez having much trouble taking you down either. Now, no disrespect to Marcos, she does have a very good wrestling pedigree, but I think that Suarez is just levels ahead uh, in the wrestling category, levels ahead of any woman in the UFC right now. I, I really pity um Nina Ansaroff for, for taking this fight. Uh, you know, respect to her. She's a warrior. She believes that she can win, but she racked up that good win streak, those three wins. And in my opinion, Suarez has already done enough to, to win, earn the title shot, but she's getting uh, Nina Ansaroff in this fight. She's uh, probably going to snap Ansaroff's three-fight winning streak. And Ansaroff has been a little iffy about her, her MMA career, so I hope that Nina Ansaroff sticks around after this fight, even if she loses and, you know, continues to improve as an MMA fighter. So despite Ansaroff's huge improvements in the past couple of years, I still think it's not going to be enough to stay, stuff the takedowns uh, to get back to her feet or to possibly outstrike Suarez in the feet. I just think that the takedown is inevitable. I think that uh, Suarez will use those kicks to close the distance. She'll get the takedown. And then uh, it will be, uh, you know, smashing from then on out. I honestly see Ansaroff being tough enough and being solid uh, defensively enough to uh, grind this one out on the scorecards. I think that she will survive to see the final bell, but I expect it to be a dominant decision. I expect uh, Tatiana Suarez to win this one 30-27. And... Like I said, she should be next in line for the 115-pound title. Uh, Suarez versus Andrade would be an incredible fight, but if Rose Namajunas does get that immediate rematch versus Jesse Andrade, then I think that Joanna Jacek versus Tatiana Suarez will be an incredible fight. So um, that's going to do it for the prelims, and now we are transitioning to the main card where my friend Josh will join me to help me break down all five of these incredible main card fights. Alright, we are back with the main card analysis of the UFC 238 pay-per-view going down this Saturday night. And I got my man Josh with me right now. Say what's up, Josh. How you guys doing? This is Josh here. 
Yeah, we both think of ourselves as uh, amateur mixed martial artists at this point in time, although, you know, we have no uh, no proof to, to go along with it. But, you know, we both train jiu-jitsu, both train Muay Thai, and we are chilling at my gym right now after getting done some training. So tell us a little bit about yourself, Josh, before we get into these five main card fights. So uh, I've been training for uh, about a year now consistently, about two to three times a day, uh, depending on the day. Um, just really fell in love with martial arts, been watching UFC and boxing since I was a little kid. Um, was always pretty active, and then just decided after high school I wanted to get into fighting. Um, and I mean, honestly, I just can't really say much more about it. I love, you know, analyzing fights. I love looking at, you know, two different dudes with two different skill sets and seeing what they bring to the table. Um, and then my man um, over here has got his podcast, so I mean, I would love to hop on and just talk about some fights all day. I mean, I can go for days about this stuff. Yeah, we've been talking about this for a few weeks now, and I said that let's uh, let's save it for a special card, and we got a special card ahead of us right now, man. This pay-per-view is so stacked. You just heard about uh, some of the crazy fights on the prelims. We were talking about it ourselves, you know. The prelims of this card could be uh, on a pay-per-view of a different card. Absolutely. It's, you know, it's kind of questionable, uh, match, you know, matchmaking, putting uh, Sterling and Munoz on the prelims while you got two uh, fat, sloppy heavyweights like Toivasa <laughs> and Ivanov on the main card. So you mentioned that earlier. You think that uh, the Sterling and Munoz for the number one contender fight deserves to be on the ma- uh, main card instead of the prelims? I, I mean, to me, that's a main card fight. I mean, just looking at the skill sets that they bring, uh, Pedro Munoz coming off of a, a great performance, uh, his last fight, Aljamain Sterling, just kind of got to get back in the swing of things. I mean, but that, that matchup is great. I, I just don't see that being a prelim fight. I see that being a main card fight. Um, I, I just don't know why, you know, why that got moved uh, to the prelims. I think that they should have maybe saved that for a different card, put that on the main card. I mean, we've seen the, these cards be all kind of all over the place. Sometimes they have a stacked main card. Other times it's not really anything special. They have a great main event, and then, you know, the other kind of main card fights are just, you know, kind of sloppy, um, put together kind of, you know, simply. But, um, you know, we'll see how it goes, though. Yeah, it seems like almost every single UFC pay-per-view, they, they, they bury a really solid card on the prelims, and then they leave a, uh, you know, a, kind of a decent to, to low-level fight on the main card. But, you know, they must have a method to their madness because I guess the, you know, the formula is working out. My idea, honestly, was to put Shevchenko and I as the main event of the prelims. That way you get a title fight on ESPN, you get some spotlight onto the lesser-known division, the lesser-known stars like Shevchenko, and you likely get a fight that is, you know, a pretty one-sided beatdown for Shevchenko to, you know, display her high-level skills, but I don't really see the UFC doing that. That's kind of like an out-of-the-box thinking type of, uh, you know, move on my behalf, but... Uh, with that being said, we're going to start things off uh, with the first fight on the main card, and it is in the heavyweight division. We got Tai Toyavasa, who is 10-1, and taking on Blagoy Ivanov, who is 17-2. and Now, the opening betting line for this one was Toyavasa, the minus 165 favorite, to Ivanov at plus 125. Right now, over on five dimes, we are seeing Toyavasa at minus 145 to Ivanov at plus 125. So, not much line movement on this one. There's definitely two-way action coming in this fight people are betting both sides it's a fairly close matchup um, but i i do lean uh toyavasa's way uh which way are you thinking uh josh absolutely i leave uh lead more towards toyavasa i mean that that size that reach
reach. Um, I mean, you know, he's got literally five inches on him, uh, only a two-inch reach advantage, but, um, you know, 14 pounds. I mean, I'm not really going to go into the specifics of that kind of stuff. Just, um, you know, this fight, you know, in the heavyweight division also, it goes back and forth. Anything can really happen. Anybody can hit with a get hit with a bomb um, and get dropped, but I'm definitely leaning more towards Toivasa for sure. Yeah, I think both of these guys are pretty similar fighters to one another. They both mostly box. They really don't have much other game besides boxing. You know, Taivasa uh, did get that flying knee knockout in his UFC debut over Rashad Coulter. That was his really his, uh, I think, best moment in the UFC so far. He had that, uh, you know, lackluster decision win over Andrzej Arlovski last Chicago pay-per-view. And then he went in there against uh, Junior Dos Santos, had some early success, but then was knocked down himself and then uh, mounted and pounded out for the ground pound finished by uh, um, Junior Dos Santos there so you know two of us's ground game is pretty much non-existent he was mounted and trying to punch his opponent from being mounted that just shows how how bad his ground game was Michael Bisping was actually making fun of him a little bit after that fight um, but you know Tuivasa was at, you know taking it to Junior Dos Santos in the first round of their fight you know and uh, Ivanov fought Junior Dos Santos too and he really never really had too much success in round three I think he might have clipped uh, JDS momentarily but that fight was mostly just Junior Dos Santos uh, outstriking uh, Ivanov for 24 out of 25 minutes of that fight but Man, I'm really frustrated about this fight because if Blagoj Ivanov is one of the worst fighters on this roster, man, he <laughs> all he does is box. He he circles in the same direction, the most predictable way ever. He has low intensity, low output fights. He doesn't have any power. All he does is box, and his boxing's not even that good. So, uh, and the thing I'm looking about this last fight is that he fought. Uh, Ben Rothwell, he got gifted a, a decision against Ben Rothwell in that fight, but the leg kicks were, were getting to Ivanov in that fight. Dude, he, dude. he, uh, yeah, that was a terrible decision. Uh, a lot of people were angry about that one, but you know, I didn't really care. I thought it was a pretty, uh, like I said, it was a low output, low act- intensity fight. So you're bound to get a, you know, an iffy decision on that one. But I think Toya Vessel will take the fight to Ivanov. He'll be working that leg kick, and I think he'll outbox Ivanov. I do not see a knockout, honestly. I, I, th- I think Tuivasa will probably take this one to the uh, scorecards and uh, win a decision that way. You going with uh, Tuivasa by knockout or decision? Uh, I'm going to go with, I mean, both these guys with their boxing, um, with the output that they're going to, you know, be coming at each other. We'll see, you know, how aggressive they're going to both start out, you know, coming out of the gate. Um, it if you know Toivasa wants to press forward on the smaller guy, throw some hands, um, you know, and and really try to be the aggressor, I see it, you know, coming away a knockout. Um, if they're both kind of, um, you know, staying away from each other, just kind of, you know, beating around the bush a little bit, not really wanting to get clipped with anything, so they're staying on the outside. Um, you know, Ivanov doing, you know, the usual just you know regular circle and stuff. I don't really see you know much happening in you know that way. So I would see a decision um, coming out of that, but hopefully we'll see a knockout from the heavyweights, um, the only ones really on this main card so hopefully we get a nice you know bomb yeah i'm hoping for the same thing but i'm you know prepared to for a low another uh low output decision. yeah for sure low output uh, i mean that's probably gonna be key words right there low output well, we're in agreement with that one. So next fight is in the Bantamweight division. We got Jimmy Rivera, who is 22-3, and three, taking on Piotr Jan, who is 12-1. Now, the opening betting line for this one was Rivera, the uh, plus-165 underdog, to Jan at the minus-215 favorite. Right now, over on five dimes, we are seeing... 
Peter Yan minus 325 to Jimmy Rivera at plus 265. So a lot more money coming in on, on the favorite, uh, Peter Yan, pushing him from a, you know, a moderate favorite to a big favorite. So uh, I agree with the line movement in this one. I, I like Peter Yan a lot in this spot. Uh, what are you thinking about this one, Josh? Um, I do like Peter Yan just in the way uh, of aggressiveness. Um, you know, coming out of Russia, these these dudes, um, you know, notorious for just being psychos, going in there um, and, you know, just having major success, just pressing forward, um, having that mentality of, you know, they're not going to stop, not going to get tired, um, you know. Also, I mean, there's not really much discrepancies between, you know, these two dudes in size, uh, in size I should say. Um, but, I mean, it, it's it's really a toss-up, but I, I, I'm leaning more towards Peter Yan. I mean, to be honest, he... he to me, he shows me that um, you know he's going to be able to you know just put outstanding pressure on Jimmy Rivera, not taking anything away from him, but um, with that amount of you know pressure in his face the whole time, constantly getting walked down, I don't really see you know much of a uh, much of a different outcome. Yeah, I agree with that a lot. Uh, so in the betting aspect of things, I, I do agree with you know Jan being the favorite, but I, I would probably say that the where the line sits at right now is a little too high. You know, Jimmy Rivera did have an off fight last fight against uh, Aljamain Sterling. You know, he said it on the corner uh, in his corner of that fight that he just doesn't feel like himself, doesn't feel uh, right. And I don't think he was making any excuses. You know, he we've seen you know at one point Jimmy Rivera I think was on like a 18 or 19 fight win streak, then got knocked out by Marias, bounced back with a quick decision win over Dodson and then uh, suffered that decision loss to uh, Aljamain Sterling he was you know uh, basically out wrestled in that fight he was actually dropped with a spinning back kick and you know outstruck off fight long so I'm not totally writing Jimmy Rivera off I think he's a you know very solid Tiger Showman guy he's been around uh, for the game for years you know former ring of combat uh, veteran from around this uh, tri-state area so you know I respect the guy a lot and I think that the betting line is a little wide just because he did he looked uh, you know kind of off last fight but you know uh Jan is just you know the complete package man I've been so so impressed by this guy his boxing is tremendous he he switches stances you know better than uh, anybody in the UFC really he has got he's got solid boxing defense although he did get caught with the left hand uh versus John Dodson last fight and then he uh got dropped momentarily but he recovered quickly and he he still won the round you know he was winning the round before the knockdown he recovered quickly and then kept putting the pace on Dodson winning that uh fight you know very decisively and Jan's, you know, wrestling game is is crazy good, man. He can hit offensive takedowns, all different types of takedowns, and his takedown defense is incredible, man. He he has great balance. He can stuff takedowns. Uh, he stuffed Dodson's takedowns easily. Who's a great wrestler of his own. Got taken down in round three of their fight with the Dodson, but again, popped right back up to his feet. Just pushed down on the head and uh, got back to his feet. So. Peter Yan has, you know, done nothing but impress me. He's only had one real hiccup, and that was getting dropped by Dodson in their fight. But other than that, has looked dominant. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I, like I said, once more, I think the line is a little wide right now. I do see Yan winning this fight wherever it goes. I think he should be the better boxer on the feet. I think he should be the better grappler on the ground. I honestly see this fight playing out on the feet, and I just think that uh, Peter Yan, you know, out volumes and lands the clearer, harder strikes all fight mm-hmm. to a decision, uh, 30-27 uh, in this fight. All right, so the next fight is in the lightweight division, man. A, a crazy fucking fight right here. Tony Ferguson, who was twenty-four and three, taking on Donald Cowboy Cerrone, who I can't see his record. Thirty-six and eleven. 
the opening betting line for this one was Ferguson minus 245 to Cerrone plus 175. Right now, looking over at five dimes, line margins have tightened up quite a bit. We got Ferguson at minus 142, Cerrone at plus 120. So shocking, shocking line movement in this one. When I first uh, heard this fight announced, I honestly capped Ferguson at minus 300 with a you know 75% implied probability that he would win this one. But the odds makers capped it a little closer than that, and the public has capped it even closer than the odds makers so uh, a lot of money coming in on donald cerrone in this matchup uh who are you picking in this one josh uh cowboy or el kakui so uh i'm gonna have to go with my man kakui for sure um the the only thing that really um you know puts a doubt in my mind was if you know that that stuff outside of the cage really has affected him in any sort of manner affecting his focus uh his training just his overall family life we see a lot of fighters um you know throughout the years and still currently today actions outside of the cage um you know do play a major role in that not only their training but their mentality uh mentality is going to be huge um donald cerrone cerrone uh not taking away anything from him he's on a tear right now um you know just an absolute beast um but you know i just don't see tony getting tired here, um, just keeping constant pressure on him. Um, him versus Pettis, uh, you know, him coming off that, you know, what, four to six months after his knee surgery, hopping right in there with, you know, with some guy that just came out and knocked out, you know, Wonder Boy um, with an incredible, you know, uh, Superman punch, um, you know, putting on a show, you know, show of the night with him, um, you know, after four months, six months out of, you know, being out of training uh, is absolutely ridiculous to me. Um, Tony's a tough, tough guy. Um, but yeah, I don't really see anything, you know, uh, going towards Cerrone's way. I mean, this is fighting. Anything can happen. But uh, my man Ferguson, I, I think he takes this one overall. I mean, he's just an absolute monster. I see him walking down Cerrone the whole time, um, just being on the attack and just really putting the pressure on him. Yeah, I'm in the same mentality with pretty much everything there. You know, good point about bringing up the the uh, you know personal problems outside of the cage. You know, so a lot of the times I think they're exaggerated. You know, uh, personal problems, but this one you know is is, is real. You know, Absolutely, it's yeah. you know some major paranoia going on with Ferguson. But the reason why I don't think it's going to play a factor is because if you go back and listen to that the commentary in that uh, Pettis fight, his most recent fight, the all the commentators are like, man, Tony Ferguson's a madman. He's crazy. And they're like, Tony Ferguson refused any physical therapy. Like, it was clear, clear as day for everyone that Tony Ferguson was a weirdo, you know, <laughs> that he's a crazy dude, that he does things, you know, a very unorthodox way. It honestly does not shock me at all that he's got some, you know, major paranoia going on. Um, you know, there were rumors that it was, like, you know, a domestic violence issue, but luckily, you know, there were, yeah, it was confirmed that he didn't, he did not hit his wife, he did not hit his kids, he didn't, you know, it was not a physical violence of any type of way. Thank God. I think all that really bad was happened is, the, you know, uh, that the Ferguson's wife told, uh, told him to leave their son there and Ferguson took him in the car somewhere or something like that, you know, so... Uh, I don't see Ferguson's recent troubles uh, outside of the cage playing a factor in this one. So let's get down to the matchup and how these two will uh, will uh, go against one another. So Josh brought up uh, Cerrone's tear that he's on lately, man. This dude has been looking so fucking good. He f he's fought, I think, three times in the past six or seven months. He finished uh, Mike Perry with that arm bar at 170, <sighs> dropped down to 55 for the first time in a few years, and took out the undefeated prospect and Alexander Hernandez, finished him with a, a head 
head kick in round two of that fight. And then, you know, against Ally Quinta in their five-rounder just uh, five or six weeks ago, he, you know, got off to a slow start like usual, lost the first round, and then round two started picking apart uh, Ally Quinta. Round two was a little close. I don't know who won that one. I honestly remember it being two rounds to zero for Ally Quinta. But then Cerrone in rounds three, four, and five was locked in, man. Just total flow state, seeing every strike coming, you know, being creative with his striking. It, that was, you know, probably one of the best Cerrone performances that we've ever seen. Absolutely. Just, you know, uh, this dude is, both of these guys are just incredibly well-rounded. Getting to Cerrone first, man, I think Cerrone is the better kicker of these two. You know, he's uh, got, you know, great head kicks. He uses knees to counter pressure when guys are fighting him. That could be something that Cerrone uses in this fight, just like Alex Hernandez was constantly pressuring Cerrone. Cerrone was firing off knees to the body nonstop, and that that really took out the gas tank of uh, Alexander Hernandez, which eventually led to that uh, second-round finish from Cerrone. But Cerrone's Achilles heel throughout his entire career has you know been pressure fighters. It's been guys who you know put his back to the cage, who constantly walk him down. That's what you know Dos Anjos did to him. Um, you know what uh, Darren Till did to him a while back. Jorge Masvidal. A lot of a lot of guys have uh, you know beaten him with this game plan. And you know uh, unfortunately for him, Ferguson is probably one of the best pressure fighters in the division. The first note I got written down for Tony Ferguson is relentless pressure, man. Mm-hmm. Again, like Peter Yan, man, he'll switch stances on you nonstop. He'll walk you down. He'll throw kicks, knees, elbows, r- great elbows, man. Ferguson uses elbows I think yes. better than any other any fighter in the UFC. He uses them. For such creative angles Mm -hmm. you know if you put him on his back you know not only will he be throwing up submissions triangles arm bars with his uh, 10th planet jiu-jitsu black belt he also throws strikes from the bottoms like hammer fist and elbows from the bottom and he's just such a creative dude even when he gets rocked in fights, even when he gets hurt, he's still, tr- you know, attempting creative stuff like rolling out of, you know, weird positions and shit like that. You know, the dude is just, you know, uh, a ball of creativity in the octagon. He he doesn't spar. You know, he, he he's very clear about that. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't spar at all before his fights. But when he gets in that cage, man, he he's uh, he looks so comfortable. He, he never looks hesitant. He just throws whatever it comes to his mind and he throws it smooth. Um, but, you know, Ferguson does have his weaknesses and I'd say that that would be his boxing defense in his chin. You know, the dude gets caught in pretty much all of his fights. You know, the Lando Venata fight uh, comes uh, to, to mind and his most recent fight with Pettis where he had Pettis hurt in the first round. He, he won the first round and then he came out in round two and got a little complacent and then got dropped by uh, Anthony Pettis in that fight. Now Ferguson did recover quickly and then go on to keep, uh, you know, beating that ass as Anthony Pettis eventually getting <laughs> the finish in the second round of that fight. But nonetheless, man, Cerrone is a, an expert finisher, you know, unlike uh, some other guys who can get a little flustered when they hurt you with a punch, man, Cerrone w- picks his shots, you know, better than anybody when he hurts you. I don't remember a guy that Cerrone has hurt and not really finished. Maybe Ally Quinto would be the only one. That, so, I expect this one to be close. You know, Cerrone does have a path to victory. You know, he's going to have to be on point. He's going to have to be, uh, you know, circling backwards, striking while moving backwards. But that he's not really good at that, man. So he could put on the performance of his lifetime and, you know, uh, counter that pressure fighter, ca- uh, counter that, you know, nonstop, uh, you know, coming forward uh, of uh, – 
Tony Ferguson in this one, but it's going to be a tough task, man. I, I honestly see Ferguson walking him down with that with his pressure, uh, you know, swarming him with strikes, elbows, not giving Stroney any space, no space to kick. Uh, Stroney really needs space to kick to be comfortable in his fights. When the fight is straight boxing, when he's straight moving backwards, that that's when things go badly for him. So the pick is going to be Tony Ferguson in this one. Honestly, where the odds are at now, man, I think there's crazy value on Tony Ferguson. Uh, I mean, the dude is, I think, you look at his most recent recent fights i think he's uh 13 and one as a favorite or something like that you know he's on a 12 or 13 fight win streak the dude is a winner he finds ways to win and you know every single one of his fights so i'm trusting him to do so now uh tony ferguson is going to be the pick and i expect him to get it done by a third round submission how are you thinking tony ferguson gets this one done josh you go you know decision knockout submission? um i'm gonna go i'm gonna go submission as well um just because i think that um, you know, he's going to come with relentless pressure, like you said. Um, you know, he's going to be, you know, doing all of his unorthodox stuff, uh, switching stances, you know, just, you know, doing his normal, just crazy fight style. Um, I feel like, you know, this fight's going to end up in an awkward position. Tony Ferguson is going to find some way, um, you know, to get an advantage, as he always does, um, you know, and, and, and finish that submission. Um, you know, I'd love to see a knockout here. Um, that would be amazing. Uh, I would love to see him, you know, clip um, Cerrone, um, you know, and finish him that way. But uh, I really do see this going on the ground um, and and, uh, and Ferguson using that jiu-jitsu, um, getting some sort of, uh, I want to say leg lock. So mark my words. Let's see. Let's see something about a leg lock. Yeah, I could see it, you know, panning out similar to the Barbosa fight with uh, Tony Ferguson, you know, where, uh, you know, Ferguson was just hurting Barbosa on the feet. It ended up on the ground in a scramble, uh, and uh, Ferguson snatched up that, uh, I think it was a Darson. No, it was an Anaconda in that fight. But, you know, he's got a wicked Darson, a wicked Anaconda. He's got good guillotines, triangles, man, the uh, rear naked chokes. He can really tap you out in a, a plethora of different ways. And, uh, you know, I, I expect it to be like an accumulated damage type of thing where after two uh, or three rounds of, you know, just uh, Cerrone eating all of uh, Ferguson's best shots, Ferguson will see an opening for a takedown. We'll see an opening for, you know, maybe an Imanari roll. He likes doing crazy leg locks, like you said, yep. and get the fight to the ground somehow and then uh, snatch up a submission. But I also wouldn't be surprised to see this one go to the scorecards, you know. Uh, uh, Cerrone's ground game is terrific. His wrestling is good. His uh, submission game is really uh, solid. So I could see it being a decision, uh, but uh, eventually I'm gonna go or uh, I'm gonna go with Ferguson by uh, submission for sure. If um, I mean. If uh, if Cerrone manages to keep that that pressure off of him, um, kind of stay on the outside, work around him, um, you know he's not the best fighter, you know going backwards. But if he can manage to, um, you know you, you know Ferguson's never gonna get tired. I mean the guy trains six hours straight, you know all the time. Like I mean he's an absolute animal. But if Cerrone can somehow you know kind of try to mitigate that forward pressure um, and keep the distance, kind of use them kicks to his advantage, throw the knees to the body inside, um, kind of try to wear Ferguson down. Um, you know maybe you know they'll go back and forth a little bit and it will go to scorecards but you know hopefully we'll get it we'll see a finish in there all right so we're going to move on to the co-main event of the evening in the women's flyweight division we have the champion valentina shevchenko who is 16 and 3 taking on the challenger jessica i who is 14 and 6 the opening betting line for this one was Valentina Shevchenko, the minus 1250 favorite to Jessica I at plus 825. Right now over on Five Dimes, we are seeing Valentina Shevchenko minus 1375 to Jessica I at <clears throat> plus 900. So Jessica I opening up as the minus 
1250 favorite right now sitting at minus 1375 that gives her implied probability at 93.2 percent chance to win this fight um so you know you look you know what we're looking at this type of fight it's valentina shevchenko is a dominant champion she's looking for you know any type of challenger who is worthy jessica you know uh i i guess you could say she's worthy of the title she has racked up three fights in a row uh three wins in a row although uh her last fight i believe that she lost that fight a close fight to caitlin chukagian but i had chukagian win winning rounds one and three of that fight but it was a split decision, and the judges did give it to I. You know, not a robbery by any means. It was really close, but I did give it to Chukagian. So it's interesting uh, seeing that uh, she's getting the title shot off of this one. And Jessica I, a girl who came in in the UFC and was you know one five and one at one point, now working her way back up to a title shot. So very impressive story from her. She's had a, a definite career turnaround. Took the whole year of 2017 off and came back in 2018 as a flyweight and picked up three nice wins over uh, Kalindra Faria, Jessica Rose Clark, and uh, Chukagian. So she, you know, like I said, she she worked her way up to the title shot, but unfortunately, I think that she just brings nothing, nothing to the table that could. Uh, pose a problem for Valentina Shevchenko in any way you know I comes out super aggressive she's her striking isn't very technical she has very bad footwork you know she she's decent in the clinch you know she usually she's trying to take her fights to the ground but her, her takedowns are are sloppy you know they're they're telegraphed they're not set up well at all um she was you know outstruck by Caitlin Chukagian in my in my opinion had a lot of trouble with the kicks of Chukagian. Um, so, you know, I see Shevchenko being better wherever this fight goes. You know, Shevchenko needs no introduction. You know, terrific kickboxer, judo black belt, jiu-jitsu black belt. Um, you know, he's got a solid wrestling game. Got, you know, really nice submissions in the UFC. You know, over Juliana Pena is the one that comes to mind. You know, she just outstruck uh, Joanna Jacek, one of the best uh, female strikers in UFC history in her last fight. You know, was uh, you, that spinning back kick was on point. Her distance control was on point. Uh, everything about Shevchenko is, you know, she does pretty much perfectly. Uh, one of the best pound-for-pound pound females on, on the roster, uh, probably in history, honestly. So I expect Shevchenko to dominate wherever this fight goes. I I see it being uh, mostly contested on the feet. I think that I will try to, uh, you know, uh, take this fight to the floor, but I think Shevchenko will just stuff the takedowns easily. You know, Shevchenko has shown a little bit of issues with her aggressiveness in fights. I think that she could have finished the fight against Joanna last fight but you know she was just content to ride it out for a decision but Joanna is an actually dangerous opponent while Jessica I is not really so I could see Shevchenko uh, getting this fight to the floor and uh, cinching up a submission on I or I could see Shevchenko you know getting an accumulated TKO type of uh, finish where she you know the the damage just accumulates on I and eventually the referee is forced to stop the fight so I'm picking uh, Shevchenko but I'm gonna go with decision because I think she's just a little tentative she's playing things safe and i think she'll coast to a decision uh how are you picking this one to get done i heard you got eye by knockout is that true <laughs> absolutely not i'm gonna have to go with um the favorite valentina here um and i like what you said about how um about uh, how eyes uh, striking really isn't that technical um you know valentina shevchenko um being a former kickboxer uh predominantly i mean she has 58 uh total kickboxing fights with 56 wins, I don't really think Jessica I really brings anything to the table, like you said before, that um, Shevchenko hasn't seen before. I think she's going to be able to, um, to 
pretty much see everything that's telegraphed, everything that's coming at her, um, and really have no problems. She went up against um, Joanna with absolutely no issues. I, I mean, uh, like... It, I, I really don't see Jessica I really, you know, bringing anything to the table that um, can really surprise uh, Shevchenko. Although, um, you know, if, you know, she can work her wrestling a little bit, um, you know, maybe can get in on something. But, um, I mean, I really don't see anything, um, you know, changing from the from the odds right now. Um, you know, Jessica I just like you said before, very, very sloppy. I'm just kind of trying to go over their numbers a little bit right now. Just look at, you know, the previous, you know, amateur records and stuff like that. Um, Jessica I you know, other than that, you know, um, bringing that record up and really, you know, putting in work and doing all that kind of stuff, um, that's great improvement and everything. I just really don't think it's enough to, to um to really stop Shevchenko, uh, I think her striking is too good. She's gonna be able to gauge distance very very well. Um, I do see this fight going the distance. I don't really see anything, um, you know, in terms of knockout. I don't really see Shevchenko putting that power in. Like you said, having a problem a little bit with the aggressiveness. Um, so I don't really see in her coming out and slugging um, and finishing the fight. But I do think that uh, Shevchenko wins this in a large margin, um, you know, by decision, um, you know. But we'll see how it goes. Yep, we're in agreement there. And honestly, when I think about this fight, it's just, uh, especially watching that Chukagian fight, it just refreshed my mem memory that, you know, Chukagian uh, did, won that fight, and she unfortunately did not get the title shot. And I honestly think that if, if Chukagian were in this spot, I think it would be, the odds would be maybe plus 300 Chukagian compared to plus 900 for I. You know, Chukagian's got really legitimate striking. She trains at uh, Danaher's in New York. She's got a really solid jiu-jitsu game. She doesn't really use it too much in the UFC, but she can definitely fall back on it and I think be competitive in the grappling with Shevchenko. So that would have been the much closer fight much more interesting but unfortunately uh, we got this fight uh it's going to be a, a squash match and i expect shevchenko to uh defend her belt effortlessly yeah that was, it was a sloppy thing to just throw that on the you know main card as co-main event i, I completely agree with you and putting that as the uh the main fight on the prelim um card just to you know kind of get some exposure you know it's not going to be full out slugging you know on espn but um she's definitely gonna be able to show her skill set skill set um yeah, obviously talking about valentina shevchenko um here and i, I mean this is going to be you know won by a large margin um you know on paper um but you know that would have been so much of a better idea to just put that as a prelim um you know they're fighting for the bell you know a lot of hype around it blah 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 um I, I i think this is a stupid fight to put as the co-main event for sure i think that uh, if anything you got to move that sterling uh pedro munoz onto the the main card and then drop that that fight um that shevchenko jessica i fight onto the um the main fight on the prelim card i, I think that would be a better idea yeah, the, the UFC, especially Dana, you know, tends to have really short memory when it comes to these things with title fights. Uh, you know, I remember a reporter suggested uh, to, um, uh, you know, uh, Dana before that why don't they put uh, maybe um, a, a non-title fight above a title fight on a pay-per-view? And he said, no, 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 we don't do that type of thing. We did it once and it didn't work. Uh, they did do it once at UFC 196 when McGregor and Diaz headlined over Tate and Holm. That fight did 1.6 million pay-per-views, one of the most successful UFC fights ever. Uh, I don't know what the fuck he's talking about. They also, they also in UFC 200, Jose Aldo and Frankie Edgar fought for the interim featherweight title mm -hmm. fight yep. 
as the second of five fights on the main card. Then Brock Lesnar and Mark Hunt fought. Then DC and Anderson Silva fought. And then uh, Nunes and Tate fought for the title. So they've done title and then two non-title fights and then another title fight. So there's precedent for this, you know, for mm-hmm. you to put a, a title fight on, you know, uh, maybe not the co-main event. I mean, I really think, I mean, I really hope that Shevchenko comes out here, dominates and gets this fight over quickly mm-hmm. because I honestly think that Shevchenko has a lot to lose in this fight. If she comes out here and puts on a boring decision over uh, Jessica I, you know, fighting. mediocre fighter. Yeah, we, yeah. we're going to get Ferguson Cerrone going a fucking war, bleeding all over each other, throwing elbows, and then we're going to have, you know, a possible snooze fest for 25 exactly, minutes. Yep. It's going to kill all the momentum in yep. the arena. So I hope Shevchenko comes out here and, you know, gets this one done by finish. Even though I'm predicting decision, I think that's the most likely. Mm-hmm. I, I'm hoping for the for the sake of the you know the sport the sake of the card and the sake of you know the Shevchenko's fans that I hope that she uh, you know gets this one over with quickly because she is completely on another level than yeah. Jessica I like and how do you look at Tony Ferguson and Donald Cerrone who were just in the conversation um, you know Donald Donald Cerrone was just in the conversation with Conor McGregor as a co-main event um, you know not that not that long ago how do you look at that fight and say you know that's not a co-main event fight. Let's put Shevchenko and Jessica I, which, like you said, is pro- most likely going to be a snooze fest or and just an absolute blowout um, in general. Um, you know, f- for the co-main event, it's going to kill all the momentum. Um, I mean, unless something crazy happens. Like, how do you look at this Tony Ferguson Donald Cerrone fight? No one's going to be a war. No one these both these guys are both going to come out here and give it their all. Um, they both have you know a tremendous amounts of, of things to prove. So you know they're going to be coming out um, really really strong. Donald Cerrone's chasing after that belt run. Tony Ferguson trying to get his name back in the back in the conversation trying to get you know get up to the ranks maybe trying to get a Khabib fight again you know just both guys have a so much um you know to strive for and you know that they're going to be coming out slugging how do you not put that as a co-main event fight it, it blows my mind that this Shevchenko Jessica I fight is co-main event drop that to the prelim card move Sterling and and Munoz up to the main card and then move Ferguson and Cerrone up to the co-main event like I, I just don't understand what the thinking was I think it's just fucking stupid yeah, I mean, the UFC's made, like I said, they made this mistake before. They put Demetrius Johnson as co-main event, you know, uh, but before they put Yohan as co-main event before, and they've had, you know, five-round, you know, snooze fat. I mean, UFC 193, the home versus Rousey, the, one of the biggest upsets in UFC history. What were you doing when you watched it? I, I was sleeping because I fell <laughs> I fell asleep during Joanna versus Valerie Letourneau. It was the most boring, dominant fight ever. And, you know, I fell asleep in the, in the co-main event and missed one of the biggest upsets in UFC history. So, you know, uh, but uh, we're not we're not bashing bashing this too hard. You know, it's you know, it's it's a worthy fight. You know, um, it's, you know, understandable that it's co-main event. But we just uh, we're just in the mind that it's time for the UFC to try something Absolutely, new, yeah. change things up and, you know, not be afraid to take a risk. Absolutely. Um, so with that being said, we're going to move on to the main event of the evening Ooh, baby. For, for the UFC bantamweight vacant bantamweight title fight that tj dillashaw has vacated we got the ufc flyweight champion henry cejudo who is 14 and 2 taking on magic marlon marais who is 22 5 and 1 now the opening betting line for this one was marlon marais the minus 175 favorite to henry cejudo as the plus 150 underdog right now over on five dimes we are seeing marlon marais minus 130 to henry cejudo at plus 110 so I started things off giving my opinion on the first couple fights, so I'll let you, uh, Josh, uh, give your opinion on the this fight to start things off. Oh, man. I mean, 
what a fight. Um, so much hype around it, so much on the line. Um, you know, Henry Cejudo coming off, um, you know, just, you know, the fight um, you know, of his career, uh, beating um, TJ Dillashaw, who, as we all know, you know, being enhanced, um, you know, popping for the EPO, um, which helps crazy cardiovascular, helps you cut um, tremendous, uh, tremendously. Um, you know, Henry Cejudo's on the top of the world right now, um, still obviously preaching about that uh, Olympic gold medal all the time. But um, Marlon Morales, or Marais, man, uh, with heavy strikes, great wrestling, um, you know, tremendous head kicks, um, loves to go to the body, um, you know, I, I, I don't know, man, this is such a toss-up, I do think that Cejudo always rises to the occasion when he has to, um, he does let losses, um, really affect him, um, you know, we saw that with, uh, DJ, um, you know, that loss really did kind of springboard him into being the champion that he is today, Marlon Marias, um, you know, just an absolute fucking animal, um, I really see this fight. Uh, I, I gotta say, I, I gotta give this to Marias just in the fact that um, I think that you know Cejudo maybe goes in you know too aggressively off the start, kind of like how he did with TJ, um, but then gets caught with you know some kind of head kick, some kind of knee. Um, you know Cejudo's gonna definitely try to work that wrestling on Marias, but I, I think that his kicks and his power, um, you know, is just gonna be too too much for Cejudo. Um, but this is gonna be such a fucking bash, man! I can't wait to watch this fight. Um, I, I'm gonna be jittery. Um, but, you know, we'll look forward to seeing what happens. But I, this matchup is great. Um, ah, man, I, I, I have to go with Marias, but, you know, I want to say Cejudo just because he does rise to the occasion whenever he has to step up. But, um, you know, I'm going to go with my man Marias. Yeah, it's a great point about Cejudo, you know, rising to the occasion. You know, he, he lost that fight by knockout to Demetrius Johnson. And then the rematch, a fight that he was almost a 4-1 to underdog in, he came in and uh, stole that fight on the scorecards away from Demetrius Johnson. So this this is really a, a 50-50 type of fight in my opinion. Uh, you know, there are a couple guys have advantages. I'd say the speed advantage goes to Cejudo. Speed is a huge, huge factor in between these weight class, uh, these battles. You know, when uh, when DC moved up uh, from light heavyweight to heavyweight, he was the faster puncher and he knocked out Stipe Miocic. When Amanda Nunes moved up to fight. Um, Cyborg oh at 145. God. She was the faster puncher, and she knocked out Chris Cyborg. Oh, um, you know, so it's a. Uh, and then the fight that uh, with Cejudo and Dillashaw, they were. I guess D Dillashaw was moving down in a way, so that was a little bit of a, a different factor there. But I still think the speed of the flyweight Cejudo was a big adjustment for the bantamweight TJ to, to adjust to. So uh, I'm definitely giving the speed advantage to Suhudo, definitely giving the wrestling edge to Suhudo, you know, uh, Olympic gold medals in wrestling, you know, he'll never let you forget that. I mean, this, this dude's takedowns are, are you know, it's it's the highest level we've ever seen in the UFC. We've seen incredible wrestlers before, like Yoel Romero and all different types of guys, but there is nobody better in the UFC history, MMA history, who has better wrestling than Henry Cejudo. And it's, it's you know, it's very easy to understand because of that gold medal, but man, this dude will shoot in on a double leg takedown, and then he'll go to clinch you, and then he'll inside or outside trip you or he'll he'll knee you to the body and then before his foot even hits the ground he's inside tripping you i mean 
he he will string three takedowns together in three seconds. Like he'll he will shoot. Like I said, the, the exact sequence that he took down Demetrius Johnson with multiple times is he shoots for the legs, gets you you know sh- sprawling a little bit, then clinches you up, fires a knee, and then inside trips you. He did that three or four times versus uh, Demetrius Johnson, and actually kept DJ on his back a few times in, in those fights. You know, a lot of the takedowns that Suhudo got in that fight, DJ was able to Grammy roll or he was able to get it back up to his feet very quickly. But there were also a couple takedowns where Cejudo was put DJ on his back and kept him there and you know use that that solid top pressure and that shoulder pressure to keep uh, DJ on his back for a little bit so uh but even though Cejudo did so well in that fight I still had Demetrius Johnson winning one rounds one three and five of that fight I watched it last night and I was scoring it live um I watched the whole fight, and I was like, you know what? I have all the clear rounds except for round three. I went back and watched round three again, and I scored that one to DJ. I checked my phone from for the verdict app, and I went back and saw how I scored that fight in, in real time. And I scored it the, the exact same, Demetrius Johnson, rounds one, three, and five. So uh, it was a split decision. It was a razor, razor-thin razor decision. I, I clearly see how the judges gave that fight to Cejudo, but I still had DJ winning. So, uh, you know, that, that goes, that goes that's a big factor in this one because even though Cejudo Cejudo put on, you know, an incredible performance, you know, the best performance of his career. He still came up short, in my opinion. I still had DJ winning that fight three rounds to two. Um, so, uh, you know, what you, you pin uh, Marais' attributes well. You know, he's a crisp and powerful striker. All of his te- all of his striking techniques are, you know, with perfect technique. Um, he, he's got great head kicks, you know, knocking out, uh, you know, a couple. He knocked out uh, Aljamain Sterling with that knee slash head kick combination type of thing. He knocked out Jimmy Rivera with a head kick. He rocked uh, Rafael Asuncao with right hooks and then snatched that guillotine in his most recent fights. He's coming off a of three straight first round finishes so you know Marias is a, is a motherfucker man I think that even though Suhudo will have the speed advantage I think Marias is gonna have the power advantage you know and I think that um you know, I, I'm going to come out and say this. Uh, I think both of these guys are, are juiced to the gills right now. You know, I think, you know, despite despite what you hear, both of them talking all that shit on TJ, I think both of them, you know, both of them are clients of Ali Abdelaziz, the, the snakiest guy in MMA. Dude, um, look at Marias' freaking arms and his shoulders. I mean, like, he's that peeled. He's that strong. He's that conditioned. Like, you don't get that. You don't get that without some sort of substance helping you. Like, he is absolutely peeled. Like, a guy like, he looks like he's about to step on stage for a bodybuilding show. I mean, like, come on now. Yeah, I mean, you can look at, uh, this dude was on the 2008 Wrestling Olympic team. So, all right, he's in the Olympics. He was, you know, younger at that time, less damage in his body. The Olympics is a, a, a more serious competition than the UFC. You would have think he would have been in the best shape of his life back then, right? Mm-hmm. No, he's put on a lot of weight since then. A ridiculous amount of muscle. Even ridiculous, if you ridiculous. even if you look at pictures of Cejudo from a few years ago when he first got in the UFC when he was rocking those gold shorts, and now man, he has put on an insane amount of muscle mass. You know, dude's got veins coming out of everything. Mm-hmm. And Marlon Rice has been chiseled for 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 years, man. This dude, his six pack looks like Michelangelo carved it. You know, mm-hmm. this dude's this dude's body is like a masterpiece, not a a shred of body fat, just straight muscle. 
you know so uh, i do believe that both of these guys are, are juiced to the gills so I, I expect a really good fight you know and another testament to that is is no one has ever had better cardio than demetrius johnson and suhudo took the fight he was the aggressor he was walking down dj all fight he was shooting takedowns he was chaining together takedowns in the fourth and the fifth rounds you know suhudo's cardio was absolutely insane in that fight you know would not be surprised one bit if he was on epo himself in that one yeah that's the picture right now he he posted pseudo posted this picture from four days ago where he looks like uh you know an absolute fucking like killer cloud. he looks like a cloud um like and, and the thing is too um you know coach bill was just you know talking to me about this as well um after you know we got done rolling um all these guys especially tj when you saw him you know start to look completely shredded peeled all that kind of stuff what were they doing they're preaching their strength and conditioning strength and conditioning eating all this kind of stuff you know they're trying to make it uh, um you know that a factor um trying to you know almost kind of justify the the reason why they're getting so big blah 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 everybody who fights is in shape everybody who trains is in shape okay but these guys look like supreme primetime bodybuilders. And what are they doing? They're pushing their the, the constantly, oh, we're in the gym. Look, here's two videos back to, here's a video of him doing a strength and conditioning with his coach, another strength and conditioning picture. Um, we go down here a little bit, him you know, flexing, talking about his strength and conditioning again, like the strength and conditioning thing again. Like they're just constantly trying to preach, oh yeah, we're putting all the size and muscle, but in reality, are there other substances here at hand what they were just talking shit on? Um, look, another eating thing, like. Yeah, so what you mentioned about the EPO, when, when TJ was, uh, you know, they he tested, they tested his samples from the Garbrandt fights, and he did not test positive for EPO in either one, but what you mentioned about EPO helping you make weight and everything, he tested positive, when he had to move down 10 pounds in weight, mm -hmm. he was already sucking himself down to 135, but he had to get an extra 10 pounds, and then he popped for that EPO. Now, Suhudo has to move up in weight, he has to put on more muscle, hmm what helps you put on more muscle performance enhancing drugs so i'm nothing nothing against the two of them i mean i think these juices should be juiced up on everything i hope we have a better fight on saturday night because of it but but you know let it let it be known that these two guys are on a little more than their flintstone vitamins so um <laughs> and how about Mar marlon mariah's training not too far from here um you know training training um yeah training in jersey and new york um, you know, getting in a lot of work um, with the man Kafaro who comes in here. Um, you know, I mean, uh, that, that's pretty cool too, just seeing, you know, hometown dude, you know, coming from Brazil, coming around here, um, you know, fighting for the UFC belt, which is, you know, awesome. But this fight is a fucking smoke show of a fight. I mean, this is, this is going to be a battle. Um, I don't know about you. I'm, I'm like jittery about this fight. I, I, like, I don't see anything, you know, there's so much on the line here, that vacant belt. Um, you know, just sitting there and then, you know, what happens when TJ comes back in two years, you know, what, let's see where these guys are at, um, you know, and get that kind of in the discussion a little bit there too. Yeah. So coming down to who I think is going to win the fight, you know, I did, I do think it's 50, 50, I'm to say, uh, I, the early in the fight, I give the edge to Marias. I think that power edge will be big. And I think that, you know, Marias has a good chance of clipping Suhudo with a punch or a kick in the rounds one or two of this fight. And, you know, getting the finish that way, I'd say there's around 30% chance of that. But, you know, I, his chances wean off big time. I don't – Marias has, you know, slowed down in fights like the Dodson fight. We've never – or I think he might have gone the full five rounds back in 
World Series of Fighting, but we have not seen Marlon Moraes go the full five rounds in uh, a few years, and we've seen Cejudo go uh, the full hard five rounds against one of the greatest fighters of all time mm-hmm. very, very recently. So, uh, yeah, Marias' last time he went the full five ra- rounds was against Josh Hill back in 2015. So, wow. it's going to be big, man. The, the later this fight goes, the better it goes for Cejudo. I think that, you know, that EPO will kick in, the wrestling will kick in. I think that, um, you know, I'd say uh, there is an equally likely outcome that Marias finishes early as to uh, Cejudo winning by decision. So, I think Cejudo could finish. I think Marias could win by decision. But the two most likely outcomes, I think, are Marias finish in rounds one or two or Cejudo in rounds uh, or uh, the decision for Cejudo. So, you know, gun to my head, you know, it, I, I'm going to go with Marias. I think that, I think that you know, what this dude has been doing to high-level Bantamweights, been knocking out high-level Bantamweights. Like I said, Jimmy Rivera is on that 20-fight win streak or something like that. Aljamain Sterling has looked incredible lately. Uh, again, Rafael Asuncao is something like 10-3 and three in the UFC, had a, a win over Marias, and Marias went in there and stopped him. I think Marias is really on a new level right now. While, you know, Cejudo, his past two wins, both of them kind of of got like you know a little bit of asterisks next to it you know he lost he lost the fight 3-2 and he got gifted decision in in a close fight you know nothing too wrong with that and then he went went out there and dusted tj in 25 seconds you know when tj was going down to 25 but you know not taking anything around from uh, away from pseudo he blitzed tj in that fight was throwing head kicks was throwing punches and caught tj behind the ear with a right hand and put him down but that fight was at 25 that was against a a 35er who was sucking himself down to get to 25 that fight uh you know well i think uh tj underestimated the striking of suhudo big time and i don't think that marias will do that i think marias is going to come in here you know as prepared as ever and uh i'm going to go with uh, marias picking up that finish in the first couple of rounds although would not be totally surprised and i would actually be delighted to see this fight go to decision man i want to see suhudo wrestle i want to see these two wrestle i want to see suhudo string together those takedowns because the the t- the the sequences that Suhudo was hitting on DJ and the, the the counters that DJ was hitting on Suhudo in that fight were absolutely out of this world. So I hope we get to see something similar to that again. And uh, I'm gonna lean Marias. I'm cheering for Suhudo honestly though. I got a little bet on Suhudo at like when he was up at the plus four or plus one fifty range. So uh, I'm gonna let that one ride and and uh, cheer for Suhudo uh, in this one. But where the value is at in the betting line right now, I definitely think it's on Marias. Marias is. The, the proven 135-er. You know, Suhudo's fought at 135 before when he was having weight cut issues uh, back when he first joined the UFC. He, he picked up a, a decision victory over Dustin Kimura. Uh, it was a very nice performance from Suhudo, but I, I just don't think that uh, we've seen enough at 35 from Suhudo to be confident in him to go in there, go up and take out one of the best uh, 135-ers in the world. So the pick is going to be Magic Marais to get his uh, unified belt in this one. Yeah, um, I like what you pointed out there too. Um, you know about if Cejudo um, can keep this fight going, you know, into the later rounds. Just because I, I didn't know that that was the last time Marias was in, um, you know, a, f- a full five rounds was back in twenty fifteen. That is a significant um, time gap. Um, you know, Cejudo loves going in, into them deep. Um, you know, deep into the fight, getting that full twenty five minutes. I mean, and, and you know that he can he can do that just because of how hard he works. You know, having that wrestler mentality, being an Olympic champion, um, all that kind of stuff. You know, he he loves. To dig deep. Um, I see Mariah stopping him. 
Um, I, I see Cejudo, you know, maybe shooting in a little bit, um, you know, early, um, you know, trying something like that. And Marias just, you know, overwhelming him with power, hitting him with a head kick, hitting him with a knee, um, you know, and just overwhelming him with power. But like you said, if Cejudo can drag this fight into the later rounds, kind of get Marias to work a little bit harder, um, you know, use that wrestling to tear him down, I feel like, um, you know, that could be the way, you know, Cejudo pulls this out. He just got to be real careful with the power of uh, Marias, try to really work him, wear him down, um, not come in there with too much, you know, forward pressure. Um, I know Marias likes to, you know, throw them head kicks and then, you know, kind of settle down a little bit and then kind of clip you when you're not expecting it. So, you know, we'll see how this goes. But this is a fucking hell of a fight, though. Yeah, I think if Suhudo comes out wrestling from the jump, I think that he will have that early success and he will take away that that knockout threat early from Marias. But if he gets cute and you know thinks he, he's a kickboxer now exactly, that he knocked yeah. out uh, TJ, he tries to you know mess around on the feet. I think exactly. that that's where Marias will yep. clip him. Yep. So. Like you said, though, incredible fight for this one. Really true 50-50 type of fight. Uh, can't wait Can't wait for this one. UFC 238 is, you know, stacked top to bottom, prelims to main events. Got incredible close matchups. And, uh, you know, can't wait for the for this fight to go, or this pay-per-view card to go down. Um, all right, so that's going to do it for the UFC 238 edition uh, of the Martian MMA podcast. I want to thank my man Josh for coming on. We talked for 50 minutes. It, it went pretty quick. I got to I gotta say so myself, you know. So it, it's been a pleasure having you on. We talked about these uh, these fights now. I'll have to have you back on in, in the future, and we can talk about some more, you know, jiu-jitsu, amateur Muay Thai stuff, or uh, Muay Thai, amateur MMA stuff. So uh, we got to do that in the future. But for, for now, thanks for coming on, man. For sure, man. Thank you very much for having me. Um, this was a blast. I, I, I love talking about this kind of stuff all day. I, I mean, I could go for days. Um, you know, I, I really, you know, thank you very much for having me on here. Um, you know, we definitely got to do this again. You know, get get a little bit more of the mix in. Um, you know, some of these cards coming up, you know what I mean? Especially that Holloway Poirier, um, John, that just passed. We can talk it up, chop it up a little bit about that off uh, off the podcast. Um, kind of go into the uh, Khabib, um, Khabib Poirier stuff now coming up soon in Abu Dhabi. That just got signed. So a lot of big shit on the horizon. But thank you again very, very much for having me on here. I know we've been talking about this for a minute, but finally got it done. Um, but yeah, thank you very much again, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. It's been a pleasure, brother. So we're off of the UFC next week, but we will be back with the UFC South Carolina card going down June 22nd. So we will see you then. Peace.